In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, so over many years, I've uh, come to realize a, uh, a reality that no matter what I do, no matter what I say, I've realized that I can never really push people to take their spiritual life more seriously. You know, over all the years, whatever I've done, Whatever I've said, I've realized that no matter what I say or do, I can never really push people to take their spiritual life more seriously. And I, I realize that that's even the same in my life as well, that no matter what anybody says or no matter what anybody does to try to push me to take my spiritual life more seriously, it never really works either. Because unless... I personally want to take my life more seriously in my spiritual walk with God. Unless there's an internal desire, unless there's an incentive or, or a real motive for me that I truly desire to do that, that I truly want to do that, no matter what happens around me, nobody can really push me to do that. So the desire has to come from within. So what I'm not going to try to do today is push you guys to fast and pray and take this nativity season more seriously as you're walking throughout your spiritual walk with Christ. So I'm not going to try to do anything like that because I know it just doesn't work. But what I hope to do is that if I could just give you a sufficient reason or a motive for, for you to have that, that incentive to, to spark that desire and for you to truly want to take your spiritual life more seriously, then we will increase our fastings and our prayer. And if you haven't started fasting throughout this nativity season, that you will start. And if you've already started, then you'll just continue to keep going and, and even take it more seriously. Okay, so all I want to do is hopefully provide you a deeper motive to just push a little bit harder. I know I can't just push you to actually take your spiritual life more seriously, but hopefully we just talk about the benefits of fasting and prayer and deep down within it just sets that spark so that you'd want to take your spiritual life more seriously and you yourself are motivated to do so. Because I know unless you want to, no matter what I say, nothing really works. So before I could get into the benefits of fasting and give you uh, the, the reasons that I could think of for, for us to, to fast and pray... Let's first just take a, uh, a moment to pause and, and define what fasting really is. So that way we're, we're on the same grounds as we continue to talk about this. The best way I can think of defining fasting is a certain story that we always hear, especially if, um, if you grew up in Egypt, you're familiar with this story. It's, uh, they made a song about it, Kanfi an Udayanab. I know it's it's an American Coptic Orthodox Church, so you're not familiar with all the Arabic songs. But this this song, in reality, defines fasting. It, it's basically a song about a a bunch of grapes that were circulating in the monastery. Okay, so the song basically goes that somebody brings a bunch of grapes to Saint Macarius, and Saint Macarius. He's the elder, he's the abbot of the monastery at this time. 
And he says, how can I eat these grapes whenever there's another monk who's an elderly and he can use these grapes much more than I can. So he goes and gives him those grapes. Then the other older monk, as soon as he receives the grapes, he says, how can I eat these grapes whenever there, there, there's another man who is sick and is in, in dire need of more sustenance. So he takes those grapes that he just received and gives them to another monk. The story continues that it just circulates throughout the monastery from one monk to another until it goes all the way back to St. Macarius. Right? Then St. Macarius gets all the monks together and he like calls for a little meeting and he says, I know that there is love within the walls of, these, of this monastery because of, of your discipline and your sacrifice for one another. Because each monk was willing to deprive himself of that food in order to give his brother that food. You see, we always paint fasting in a negative light. We always say, don't do this, don't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that, and you got to remove stuff, and I can't eat, and all that stuff. And, and so we always think of it so negatively, but the reality of it, it's not about depriving, but about replacing. It's about giving. And the, the, the monks were not fasting just so that they could deprive their own bodies from food, but so that they could, they could be freed from the, the influence that their, their desires and their hunger and their passions have on their own actions so that they can freely give to others. Trust me, it's, it's a lot harder to give that meal away whenever you're attached to food. But when you're not attached to food because of your fasting, which has liberated you from that attachment, it's so easy to give. And the monks, because they live a life of fasting and prayer, they're not attached to anything in this world. And so the product is more love. The product is more charity. Right? And so the fruit of their fasting and prayer is love. The fruit of their fasting and prayer is charity. And that's what we got to think of. We got to think of Fasting as increasing love, not depriving our bodies. Okay? So, for starters, that's how we got to define it. St. John Chrysostom says, he asks a question, Do you fast? Then feed the hungry. Give drink to the thirsty. Visit the sick. Do not forget the imprisoned. Have pity on the tortured. Comfort those who grieve and those who weep. Be merciful, humble, kind, calm, patient, sympathetic, forgiving, reverent, truthful, and pious, so that God might, might accept your fasting and might plentifully grant you the fruits of repentance. You see here how he's emphasizing increasing all of those virtues. Like if you're fasting, he's asking you, are you fasting? Well, then give to the hungry and the thirsty and the sick. That way you can increase your virtues of love. Father Alexander Schmemann is commenting on these words and he says, This is the spirit of self-offering that must accompany the ascetical dimensions of any fast. Okay? So, these are the parameters that we got to think of whenever we define a fast. It's about that sacrifice of love. He continues to say, Though we refrain in our own life from certain acts, behaviors, foods, occupations, which might keep us from God, we also add to our lives during the fast an increase of prayer, an increase of time in the church, an increase of love towards our brother and our sister. Right? So fasting is not about deprivation, but about an increase. 
It's about a supplementary life to my spiritual walk. It's about replacing what's distracting me and what's taking me away from my time with God with something that's more profitable, increasing my prayers, increasing my service. He continues to say, this becomes the litmus test of our true fast. So the litmus test is basically the test that tells you if something is working or not. Right? If it tells you what the results will look like. If you want to look at whether your results are successful, this, this is it right here. He says, do I fast solely to the end that I have given up certain foods, that I have given up certain activities, but have in no way changed my relationship to my neighbor or God? So if, if at, the end of the way, at the end of the day I just you know, changed a diet, my diet, then how does that benefit me if I haven't changed my relationship with God? If that's the outcome of my fast, then it's not a fast of God, but of the demons. It's a fast of selfishness. The true litmus test of the fast is whether through these acts of sacrifice, of asceticism, we have grown in love towards our brother. So it is through these acts of asceticism that we liberate ourselves from all the attachment that deprive us from more time with God, that deprive us from you know, truly committing to the service, that deprive us from increasing our charity. And it's not just fasting from food. It's fasting from whatever is distracting us. It's fasting from whatever is occupying our time. You know, look at your day and look at where your time is going. It is, going, is it going to scriptural readings? Is it going to time in the service? Is it going to prayer? Or is it going to social media? Is it going to TV? Is it going to Netflix or whatever? So if I'm truly fasting, I'm depriving myself of those things. But the goal is not the deprivation. The goal is to use that tool in order to increase my charity and my love for God. Okay, And I'm telling you, the saints became saints because they used this tool. I don't know about you, but I need all the tools I can get in my spiritual walk. Okay? And for, for me to give you a, a, a weapon as you're going to war, and then you telling me, no thanks, I don't want to use it, would be the most foolish thing in the world. So here you have this weapon that the church has handed down to us, that was instituted... By, by God Himself, whenever He placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, He said, you know, practice some discipline and wait until you could have the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see that Christ Himself fasted as soon as He was baptized, and He went into the wilderness for 40 days, and everybody else fasted. All the ascetics and the people in this world. The church valued this as one of the most powerful tools, and, and, and a lot of times we look at it, in such a negative light, and it just makes me wonder, do we really understand it? For, for, for me to think of fasting with, with a negative connotation implies, I, don't really, I really don't get it. I really don't understand what it's all about. Because if I did, then I would, I would be appreciative of this tool that's going to help give me joy, help give me freedom, help give me a closer relationship with God. So I want us to think of fasting in a moderate sense, I'm not saying that we have to live off of one small meal a day like the monks do. 
Or I'm not also saying to be very liberal in our fasting and just say, well, I'm going to start like halfway through and, you know, I'll just, you know, remove meat from my diet, but, you know, I'll still eat like chicken and cheese is not a big deal. Everybody eats cheese or whatever. So there, 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 there are two extremes of asceticism and a liberal, just free, no boundaries sort of approach. Okay? You look at St. Anthony. As St. Athanasius was writing his biography on the life of Anthony, he said that after 20 years of fasting, you know, St. Anthony, in seclusion, a life of solitude, 20 years of strict, severe asceticism, day and night, he's fasting, praying, fasting and praying. What do you think this man looked like after 20 years? St. Athanasius says, what blew him away is that he looked exactly the same. He wasn't, you know, full and plumpy and fat and, and, and overweight because he was just sitting around lazy in a cave for 20 years. But at the same time, he wasn't just skin and bones because he was fasting with, with, with such a, a rigorous discipline for 20 years. What blew him away is the moderation of this saintly man. This man that battled demons. This man that became the great Saint Anthony that was the, 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 the father of monasticism. He became what he is because he used this tool of fasting and prayer, but he did so with a spirit of moderation. I want you to ask yourself, if you're approaching this fast with clear, moderate goals, don't say, I'm just going to fast, but it's all good if I just have cheese every once in a while. You're either fasting or you're not. You have certain exceptions, that's cool, but you got to ask your father of confession, and you got to be honest. You can't say, I'm going to go to the gym and work out, and then you hop on a treadmill for five minutes, and then you walk away. Or sometimes you go to the gym, and you see people like texting on social media on their phone, and I'm like, are you going to work out, or are you just here to socialize? If you're at the gym, work out. If you're going to fast, fast. Okay, but you got to do it honestly. Okay, moderate, honest goals. For... Our purposes of the Nativity fast, the goal as the church participates in this fast as a whole, is to receive the presence of, of God, the Word, in our life. Okay? And this is always the theme preceding the Christmas season. Okay? As, we're, as we're approaching the birth of Christ, as Christ is coming into the world, He is the true Word. He is the Logos of God. So just as Moses was fasting for 40 days on the mountain to receive the two tablets which are the word of God, we also fast for these 40 days in order to receive the Logos himself who is to be born, but not in a historical sense that we reflect his birth, but in a mystical sense to be born in our hearts. And again, the 43 days are a little bit different because of some history within the development of the fast. But this is the spiritual application of the fast. Okay? That we are fasting to receive Christ just as Moses fasted to receive the tablets. Okay? Initially the fast wasn't technically 40 days as it developed, but that's a whole other issue. The, 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 the real significance is the spiritual approach. Why am I fasting and what's the goal? So you got to have certain goals. Am I trying to eliminate... 
my social media time? Am I trying to eliminate my phone time? Am I trying to eliminate my TV time? And then what am I increasing? Am I increasing my Bible readings? Am I increasing my prayers? Am I increasing my participation in service? Am I actually going to the priest and the service and say, Hey, I want to serve. What can I do? Where can I invest my time? Am I being proactive and taking the initiative to do those things so that I can increase throughout this period? So, again, I want to stress the benefits of fasting so that you walk out with an internal motivation to do so. Okay? I'm not going to push you to fast because I know it doesn't work. No matter what I say, I can talk till I'm blue in the face. Telling you fast and pray, fast and pray, show up to church on time, make sure that you're not cutting corners with cheese, make sure you're not doing this or that. It doesn't work. So, I'm going to just mention a couple of examples where we see the, the profound benefits of fasting that, that truly do benefit the person or the people that we're fasting, so that whenever we can apply this to our life, we will want to fast. We will want to never cut corners in our spiritual life, especially after we're fasting and praying. So, you look at the three holy youth, and we say that they were fortunate enough to meet Christ face to face in the fire. We, we know that the three holy youth, Daniel, they were the, 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 the most amazing figures in, in the Old Testament scriptures. But what we sometimes forget is that the three holy youth weren't just born with this level of sanctity. They weren't just born with this faith that they could go to King Nebuchadnezzar and say, we're never going to offer our worship to the idols and forget you, we're just going to walk straight into the fire no matter what happens. They weren't born with that faith. What really molded them to be the three holy youths, what molded Daniel to be Daniel, is that from the beginning of their spiritual life, the beginning of their walk with God, they fasted and prayed and they took it seriously. Okay? The, the servant of King Nebuchadnezzar chose some of the men that he's going to keep in his, um, in his service. And then he told them that you have to eat the best food so that you can grow to be big and strong and healthy. So here come Daniel and the three holy youths, and they tell him, no thanks, we're fasting. Vegetables and water, and that's all. <laughs> and the, the, the servant is telling them, you're going to get me killed. You're going to grow to be scrawny. The king's not going to be happy. And there goes my head. So they tell him, look, just give us 10 days and see what happens. Okay. So this is the very beginning of Daniel chapter 115. He says, at the end of the 10 days, their countenance was observed and they were more fit and stronger in body than the young men who, at the king, who were at the king's table, who ate at the king's table, so that everybody was eating the luxuries and the delicacies of, of the king's food. You know, like they, they, were, they were the ones eating turkey and lamb and you, call, you name it, okay? And here the holy youth are just watching everybody eat turkey and lamb in front of them, vegetables and just a cup of water. Okay, what happened though? They grew in strength and, and we know that they had spiritual strength. No one can doubt that because we know their story about 
their faith in the fire. But physically, they were also much stronger than everybody else. Okay? So, we see fasting gives us strength. If you look at the, the beginning of the apostles' journey after Christ left them, after His ascension, they waited around to receive the Holy Spirit. So there was this 10-day period from the ascension until Pentecost. And we know that the disciples were just sitting around waiting. And, and the scriptures make it very clear that they were, they were praying. We know that they, they, they chose Matthias and before they would choose any, make any decision, they would fast. So during this period, they received the greatest gift, which was the, the, the Holy Spirit. Because of their fasting and prayer, and they went from foolish fishermen and from stubborn, uh, hard-headed people like Peter to, to the, the most amazing servants in the world. Peter, with one sermon, converted 3,000 people. The next day, they're, they're all talking in tongues. And because of their fasting and prayer, receiving this gift, they go and turn the world upside down. They transform the world. Okay, what if the disciples were like, I don't really don't want to fast and pray. It's not a big deal. Okay, you know this whole Holy Spirit thing. It's not going to do much for me. <laughs> I'd rather not. I'd rather not bother with fasting and praying. That seems like a whole lot of work. Okay, we certainly would have, wouldn't have seen what happened in the beginning of Acts. So from their fasting and prayer. They changed the world. They literally changed the world. And a man who, who had such a short fuse, remember he sees his master attacked at Gethsemane and he cuts off servant Malchus' ears off. And then the, the next day after receiving the Holy Spirit, he's preaching and, and converts 3,000 people. How did this change happen? From the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's what fasting and prayer does for us. Okay? It, it provides an empty vessel that the Spirit may enter and transform us and give us His fruits. Another story that uh, we, we, we all love is the story of, of Esther. And we know that at the time of the story that the king was a little shaky and he was, you know, easily manipulated by the influence around him. And so, uh, th- there was a man named Haman who came and, and told him, hey, like, you know, the Jews aren't, you know, aren't good people and, you know, you're better off just, um, you know, killing them because they're, they're, they're not following what you say and they're just, they're going to make trouble or whatever. So, the king at this time issues a decree and says, okay, we're going to get rid of all the Jews. Okay. Little did he know that the woman that he betrothed, Esther, was a Jew as well. Okay. Mordecai, her uncle, Esther's uncle, heard this and he goes to Esther and he says, the, the, the king is up to no good. This is what he's going to do. And and, and she's shocked because 
she's a Jew, he's a Jew, and all her people, the Jewish nation, are, are now going to get wiped out. So she says, look, uh, I'm, I'm not able to even approach the king because the, the law prohibits me from approaching him. But this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to fast and pray for three days. And you tell the rest of the people to fast and pray. And I will approach the king. Okay? So these are the, her exact words. She, Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. This is from Esther 4.15. Go gather all the Jews who were present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Look at the courage that the men and women of the church and our history, that, that whenever they're grounded in that faith of fasting and prayer, are willing to, to test the limits. You know, and, and this is the heart of the Christian, that, that he, he fasts and prays to the extent that his confidence in God increases. And she says, I'm going to fast and pray and I'm going to approach him. If I perish, I perish. And you know that the story ends with the king writing another decree to, to spare the Jewish nation, to spare the Jews at that time. So fasting and, and prayer has, has been at the heart of our life and, and we talk about its benefits, we talk about how fruitful it is and I just fear that we, we forget its true fruits. I fear that we forget its benefits. One man, one modern example that I want to end with is Pope Carolus, St. Pope Carolus VI. So, Pope Carolus transformed the Coptic world. And we all know this is actually a, uh, a wonderful book that was just released by uh, Father Daniel. It's called A Silent Patriarch. It's a biography uh, of uh, Pope Carlos's life. And if you take a look at what he has done for Egypt and went from a dark and dreary land to a land full of light and holiness, the, the, the whole land was just in, in a downhill spiral until Pope Carlos came along and transformed it. But he didn't transform Egypt and, and the people of Egypt by giving sermons. He didn't transform Egypt by uh, elegant words. He didn't transform even, even the miracles that we, we hear about. Most of them really happened after his death. So... He didn't even transform Egypt by his miracles. What he did in, as, as like the core of his life is fasting and prayer. Okay? And, and you see so many examples. Like the, on one story that he had um, the servants bring him his dinner. And then as he was sitting around and about to go eat it, he had a family that came and visited him. And so uh, he said, oh good, you came just in time, I, I, I wanted to offer you dinner. So they came and they ate and it's still, you know, there were still some more people that were around and he wanted to feed them. So he called the, 
the servant to bring in the rest of the food. And you know, the servant told him, uh, you know, Sayyidah, this is it's all we have left, and you're not going to have any dinner. He said, don't worry, just bring it. And he brought it, he had the others eat, and he went to bed that night without having dinner. You know, just went to bed on a hungry, empty stomach. To him, it wasn't a big deal. To him, this is the life of charity, this is the life of love. And that life is what transformed the world. The life of prayer, the life of fasting. So many times we run into problems and we try to fix it by our own intelligence. Not knowing if we truly fast and pray, we will have the most powerful solution. So I hope that these words, these examples and stories just remind us of the benefits of fasting and prayer. That we walk away truly convinced that this is what, what fuels us to be successful in our spiritual life. That God may be glorified and to whom is the glory forever and ever. Amen.